0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, welcome to all of you. Uh, We're in the middle of a series to do in 22, and if this is your first Sunday with us, or first Sunday in a while, uh, welcome, welcome back. Uh, But in week one in this series, we went to the New Testament book that we call James, and... uh, Inspired by God, James, who was the earthly brother of Jesus, said, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So the emphasis in week one was on the need to not just talk about doing better. You know, we're good about saying, oh, I know I need to do better. Or, or we're good about saying, yeah, I know I need to quit this, or I know I need to start this. But James says, if we're going to get any credit with God, we have to actually do it. In week two, we talked about forgiveness, and this was a really tough lesson. Forgiven people forgive. When we come to Christ and ask forgiveness, His forgiveness, we lose all of our excuses to not forgive those who hurt us. And then last week, week three, we talked about how God's plan is not for us to just come to Him each night and confess our daily, habitual, addictive sins with no intentions of changing. If we confess our sins, then the biblical concept of true confession always leads to change. And if through the power of God, and and that's the way change has to take place, through the power of God, if there isn't any genuine change, then there probably hasn't been genuine confession because we're probably not genuinely sorry And we're just playing games with God. And I don't know if you realize this, God is too smart to be fooled by our silly games. Now, today, I want to talk to you about something that may not be as theologically deep as other topics we've discussed, but it's important enough to where God put it as one of the Ten Commandments. So if it's a Ten Commandment, don't you think it's pretty important? Um... And i 'll just say that you know, in public speaking, what I learned is that you 're always supposed to speak from your strengths and but i 'm sorry today I, I, this topic is not a strength of mine it 's a weakness, and so I will be speaking from my weakness i 'll admit that, but in my weakness, I will still try to speak with the backing of the authority of god 's word. Now, to get us going in the right direction. We, uh we're going to use a, use a, a visual aid. And uh, for those of you that are listening on radio, since you can't see, but I'll just kind of describe what we have up here on stage. We have a, a treadmill. And, um, you know, one of those things that we've all bought at one time and used two or three times, pushed it off in the corner. How many of you have had a treadmill at one time or another in your life? Would you please stand? If you've had a treadmill or you have one, would you stand? Come on. Come on, be honest here. How many of you used it more than three times? Just, just sit down because I know the way it is. I've had a treadmill, it sat so long, whenever we went to sell it at a garage sale, so it wouldn't even start. I think it rusted. And uh, so that's, that's the way it is. But anyway, um, for this visual illustration, I need a victim. I mean, I need a volunteer. This is R.J. Kennett. And um, now, for the next few minutes, R.J. is going to represent your life. And, and we're going to give him some roles and responsibilities. Not all of them will fit you, but I think some of them will. Okay, but the first thing that he encounters besides a stop in life is uh, he gets a job. Now, congratulations, R.J., we've got a laptop computer for you to represent this job uh, which just, uh, you know what, our workforce today is, is slim and none. People don't want to work. And and so congratulations, RJ. Uh, but you know what, whenever you take on a job, you've got to pick up the pace just a little bit because you've got 40 hours out of your week. Um, life is good so far. It's manageable. But you know what, it's going to get even better but faster because enter the love of your life. Who is that? Gabby. And... Actually, it's Dr. Gabrielle Kennett. Okay, well, after after Gabby, guess who comes next? We get sweet Grace. Grace, would you stand up and give her a hand? And, and so there is Grace. We're going to just let you carry Grace. And then comes Penny. Penny, where are you? Stand up there. There's Penny. Oh, yeah. So life gets faster even then if, if it's going to work. Okay, And then comes Sam, and life gets a lot faster right there. Give Sam a hand. Well, I I love the fact that uh, your your family is involved in church, and so you're here Sunday morning, you're here Wednesday night, and uh, so we're going to give you a Bible to represent church. So could you just carry that? And and really, you need to go faster than that, okay? You're kind of slacking there uh the the kids are involved in school and they're involved in sports and all kinds of activities so we've got a ball we're going to give him to represent that and i think he's he's a little bit too heavy for this and so he needs to go to the fitness club and so we've got some stuff to represent that (laughs) isn't that cute those are his colors definitely okay you need to be doing some curls there i don't know if you can or not um you you doing all right there R.K. yeah Yeah, i can tell you're good. now, uh, you know, so far what he's taken on uh, is okay, but he's flying through without margin. And um, I, I wonder, do you think, do you think that he could go faster than that? How many of you want to see if he can go faster? All right, crank it up there, buddy. Make that thing rock and roll. There we go. Woo! We're good. We're good. <laughs> okay, yeah. The, all right. I got the message. Yeah, all right. You got the message? All right, get, get off that thing and, um, wow, would you give these two guys a hand? <laughs> RJ, I hope you come back to church sometime. And, uh, <laughs> and I hope that uh, you're not too sore to make it to work tomorrow. That's, uh, you may have to call in sore. Um, here's the reason I wanted to show you this this is life we take on so much stuff he's leaving now (laughs) I'm sorry forgive me we take on so much stuff and most of its good stuff it's not sinful stuff its school stuff its work stuff its family stuff its church stuff but we keep adding more and more and more and going faster and faster and faster and a lot of times it's just incremental, just a little bit more and more and more. We don't notice it. And without our realizing it, we have become a generation of exhausted and burned out people. And there are several problems with this. One is that our lives begin to come apart, two, it goes against the Bible. Three, it's robbing us. It's robbing us of the joy of our lives. It's robbing us emotionally. It's robbing us physically. It's robbing us relationally. It's robbing our marriage. It's robbing our kids. And worst of all, it's robbing us in our relationship with God. Now, some people push back on this and they say, Joe, I know I I, I agree with you, but I don't know what to cut back on. You know, I can't quit my job. I can't send my kids back to the returns department. I don't want to divorce my wife. You know, the kids have to be in school. And, and pastor, you probably don't want me to quit church. So maybe when the kids get out of school or, or when they get married, when I retire, I can slow down. So, so there's pushback. And I understand what you're saying, but here's what I want to challenge you to do today and in the days to come. Instead of pushing back on what I want to talk to you about today, I want you to fight back. Don't push back. Rather, Fight back. Fight back for your family. Fight back for your wife or your husband or your kids. Fight back for your relationship with God. And if you'll fight back for these things, I've got good news for you. Here's what your heavenly father, your loving heavenly father. Here's what he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. What does he want to do? I will give you rest. Anybody need some rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. I love this and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let's just pause and pray. God, would you just kind of settle down upon us instead of there being... Push back and excuses and justifications, I pray that we would actually fight back for what what your word says and what our families need. Oh God, would you help us today in Jesus' name? Amen. So with the lord's help, here's where we want to go for the next few moments. I'm going to share with you two stories from the Bible, one where this truth was overlooked and another where it was applied then I'm going to ask you some closing questions to help us with some practical applications. Let's go to our first story. If you brought your Bibles or, or your tablet or your phone, however you access the Bible, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 19. And as you're turning there or, or, or clicking there, let me give you the background. The story has to do with a prophet named Elijah. You know this story. If you grew up in church, you know this story. You've heard it a thousand times. But Elijah was a prophet that served during the time of Ahab, King Ahab, who Ahab happened to be one of the very worst, one of the very most wicked kings of Israel. But in comparison to his wife, King Ahab sometimes looked like a saint. I mean, do you remember the wife's name? Anybody? Jezebel. She, she was the sum of all the expletives you could think of. She's also just... Uh, a little bit of trivia she's the first one in the bible to use makeup so i think that's why years ago and this is seriously true back years ago in, in, in a lot of churches if a if a lady came in wearing makeup then they would look down on her and what would they call her look at that jezebel because they associated makeup to this very cruel woman named jezebel But one of the things that Jezebel helped do was to bring in Baal worship. Baal was a false god and considered the most powerful god in that day. And and there were 450 prophets that helped in the worship of Baal at that time. But not only was there the worship of Baal, but there was another false god they called Asherah. Now, Asherah was kind of the the female uh, chief female god, and there were 400 prophets that helped in the different sacrifices to Asherah. Well, this whole thing of of idol worship was detestable to God, and so it became a huge burden to Elijah. So so finally, Elijah said, enough is enough. We're going to have a contest. We need to decide who is the true God. And again, you know the account. Elijah said, let's have a summit on top of Mount Carmel. Now, Mount Carmel, you see the picture there, was a a mountain that was 1,741 feet above sea level. And, and I found this interesting. It's almost the same height as the tallest mountain in Missouri. Do, do you, anybody know the tallest mountain in Missouri? And it's not Mount Everest. What's the tallest mountain in Missouri? Tom's Hawk. And, and, and uh, that one is 1,772 feet. So what is that, 30, 31 feet difference there? That's near the Mark Twain National Forest. And, uh, and, and actually, it's not a mountain. It's more like just kind of a ridge. But but Elijah said, let's go to the top of Mount Carmel. We'll have a contest. You prophets of Baal and Asherah, you build an altar to your gods. I'll build an altar to my God, and, and we'll pray to our own God in our own way. But he said, in our prayer time, let's ask for the same thing. Let's agree on this. We'll ask our, for our God to send down fire upon the altar that we've built. And, and whichever God does that, can we just agree that's the true God? Is that a deal? King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, is that a deal? They said, deal, bring it on. Well, as an outsider looking on, immediately you would think that Ahab and Jezebel had the advantage. I mean, think of the numbers game. We talk about numbers game. You've got 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. That's a total of 850 prophets on one side. And Elijah's side, you have, well, you have Elijah. 850 prophets verses 1. Well, they got the altars built on top of Mount Carmel. Elijah deferred to them and said, you get to pray first. And since football's on our minds, I guess in in, in football terms, if the prophets of Asher and Baal would have produced fire first, it would have been like a walk-off victory. So the prophets of Baal began to pray. They started early in the morning. They prayed up a storm. Noon rolled around, no fire. So Elijah did a little bit of trash talking. He said, Guys, what's wrong? Maybe Baal is in deep thought, or he's busy, he's on a trip, so maybe you ought to shout louder. So they shouted louder, and then they took sharp stones and began to cut themselves to try to get the attention of Baal. They prayed until evening, still no fire. Finally, Elijah stood up and said, it's my turn, boys. But but he said, this is too easy right now. It it was almost like Elijah was taunting them and saying, hey, hey, why don't you just tie one of my arms behind my back? Because this is not fair right now. And he said, to level the playing field, he said, go get four barrels of water from the sea and pour it on my altar. And and they did that. And Elijah says, that's still too easy. Go get four more barrels. And they did that. Elijah said, still too easy. Do it one more time. And well, by now, the altar is soaked. The wood is soaked. The dirt in the trenches has turned to mud. There's standing water. And then Elijah, the prophet of God, stands up, looks to the heavens. Can you imagine the drama of this moment? And I was, I was thinking about it. You know, I, I, I dare say there was more drama than, than a 13-second period in a ball game that's that just happened recently in our area he begins to pray first kings chapter 18 verse 36 oh lord god of abraham, isaac and israel let it be known today that you're god in israel that i'm your servant that there's no screaming or cutting himself I'm your servant Have done all these things at your command. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And, and so Elijah wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He didn't say, God, send fire so they'll know that I'm your man and, and they'll leave me alone. And no, he said, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. What happened? You know the story. Fire came down from heaven the fire consumed the wood on the altar. It was so hot, hot that it, it, it lapped up the water in the trench around the altar. The Bible says that the fire was so hot that it burned up the stones and it burned up the dirt. Now, fire has always interested me. And so I did a little bit, a little bit of research this past week. And I, I researched the temperature of a typical fire in a wood stove or a brush pile. Um your fireplace and and I learned that fires like that and of course it depends on the type of wood typically uh you know hedgewood is going to burn hotter and and you've got other words like elm that won't burn as hot but a, but a typical fire in a brush pile or fireplace burns at around 500 degrees fahrenheit but then I researched the temperature of magma from a volcano and learned that it is typically around 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, I had somebody doing some welding for me yesterday and I said, hey, how hot is that arc right there? And he said, well, you know, again, it varies. There are a lot of variables there, but he said, typically it's going to be around 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. And, but then I researched the, the temperature that it would take to burn up rocks. And, and of course, different rocks combust at different temperatures, but, but I learned that it would take a fire of about 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit to burn up a typical rock. So, so the fire that fell that day was not the type of fire that we have in our fireplace or in a brush pile. Well, when everyone saw the fire that came down from the heavens, the people who were watching this competition, you know, what else could they do? They fell on their knees and they started saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And, but Elijah was not finished yet. And he turned to the false prophets and said, you low down deceivers, you have deceived God's people. And he said to the people watching, round up these false prophets, don't let them escape, get them away from this sacred place where God showed up, take them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughter them, put a sword to them. In other words, take off their heads. Well, when that happens, this is where we pick up our scripture, let's find out. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel... So evidently, Jezebel must have been back at the palace. So she didn't know everything that was going on. So Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that... Of one of them, and in other words, I, I'm going I'm to take him down. I'm going to take his head. Now, how do you think Elijah reacted when he got the message that Jezebel was coming after his head? Here's what I would have thought. I, I would have thought Elijah would have said, "Ha, ha! Oh, Jezebel! Surely you jest. You know, my God has already rained down fire from the heavens. Your prophets are—they went down swinging." And if you mess with me, because in messing me, you're messing with the God that I represent. Uh, you're also going to go down, girl. So, so if you want to play this game, bring it on, girl, if you dare. That's what I would have thought. That's how Elijah, I would have thought, would have responded. That's not what happened. Again, you know the story. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid. You've got to be kidding. Elijah, you're not going to let this wicked woman who was wearing way too much makeup phase you? Elijah was afraid. What did he do? And ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Question. Question. Have you ever come to the point of saying, Lord, I don't think I can go on anymore? Lord, I just want to die. There's so much stress. I'm so overwhelmed. I can't take any more. I just want to die. And just as it did with Elijah, it can lead us to a very dangerous place of discouragement and depression. In fact. Truth be known, some of us here in this room or listening online or on the radio, probably some of us have been at this point this past week where circumstances of life seem to get bigger and bigger, and in our minds, God seemed to get smaller and smaller. Now, there are many different reasons for discouragement and depression. It can be medical, it can be chemical, it can be sin. But sometimes it can be traced to something very simple that we just overlook. And that's the case with Elijah. Elijah came to the point of discouragement because of one reason. And if you study this account, you find that Elijah had become so exhausted, he had become depleted emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And when you and I get to that point, remember our illustration with RJ, when when we reach that point of running as fast as we can day after day after day, then we become vulnerable. We become vulnerable to health issues. And one of the reasons that I think a lot of us are on medication is because we're exhausted all the time. We become vulnerable to emotional struggles. We, We become vulnerable to moral issues. We become vulnerable... To spiritual struggles, I've shared with you before, maybe not in this much detail, but from about twelve thirty here in the next forty-five minutes, seems like as soon as this service is over and when people go home, whenever the last person is left, and from about twelve thirty Sunday afternoon until Monday evening, when I go play racquetball at YMCA. I consistently encounter a fairly high level of discouragement, and, and I've made a joke about it before that I resign every Sunday evening, but, but there's about a 36-hour period where, where I struggle more than usual with discouragement and high levels of temptation to just cut and run. And I'm serious, there are temptations to be like a lot of the workforce in our country that no longer wants to be employed. And I know the reason, and and it doesn't blindside me. I I know why. I, I fight against it. But the reason I struggle is because I've carried the spiritual burden for Sunday all week. In fact, do you realize that as soon as the final amen has been said, already the burden is beginning to form for next week, next week's lesson? And so I, I, I've carried the spiritual burden for Sunday all week long. I've fought spiritual warfare as I've prayed and I, I've studied for the message. I've, I've tried to carry the burden for some of you. And, and one of my spiritual gifts, it seems like it, part of the time anyway, is the, the, the gift of discernment. And, and, and so many times your names will come to, to mind and, and I will pray for you and I will sense that you're struggling and I try to lift you up. And so by the time the last person leaves after Sunday services, honestly i'm giving a secret to you but there have been times i've gone in my office i've sat down didn't want to move emotionally spiritually depleted you know there's something about carrying a burden that tends to wear us down and some of you you carry heavy burdens you may not carry the same burden i carry for this church but you carry a burden for your family a spouse or kids or grandkids, parents that are needy. You carry a burden because of health issues. You carry burdens because of your work situation. You carry burdens with so many irons in the fire and rarely have an evening off. You carry a burden of your finances and sometimes you don't have enough. And other times, a lot of people can't realize this, but it's surprising how wealth also creates heavy burdens as you're faced with more responsibility. And Elijah after the biggest ministry moment in his life, when he went up against the great odds of of a wicked king and a a horribly warped and cruel queen and, and went against nearly a thousand prophets, false prophets, in a spiritual battle on top of Mount Carmel, and even though he came out victorious, he was exhausted. So, the question I want to just talk about for a moment is, what do you think Elijah needs right now? And, you know, what, what would what would you do? What would I do for Elijah? Well, I, I probably would have sent him a text and given him a pep talk. And I especially would have thought that God would have immediately given him some affirmation and said, Elijah, I'm so proud of you. You are amazing. You, you were the man and I know there was a lot of spiritual warfare in that contest. I know you're depleted, you're exhausted, but just pick yourself up right now. And I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and not to harm you. And, and Elijah, you can't keep a good man down. And, and when the going gets tough, you know, the tough get going. And all of those silly things that we say to each other. But it's important to note, that's not what God did first. Now, later on, God does give him a pep talk, but not yet. And what God did first is so easy to overlook, but it's incredibly significant, not only for Elijah, but because it speaks to you and it speaks to me. Let me read what happens as Elijah is fighting discouragement and depression and exhaustion. The Bible says that, first of all, Elijah ventured out about a day's journey into the wilderness, so he got away from the crowds. And watch what he did. Verse 5. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. This amazing prophet of God took a nap. We don't know how long he slept, but it says all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now, apparently this angel is from the food network (laughs) because all this angel does is talk about food. I'm serious because they talked about it in verses five and six. Uh, Look at verses seven following the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. And so, catch the order here. Elijah walked away ways into the wilderness. He went to sleep, woke up and ate, then slept again and woke up and ate again. And he was strengthened by that. And then it says, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, that is big. Don't skip over that. The mountain of God. The mountain of God signifies that during this time when Elijah was depleted, he didn't just walk or exercise and sleep and eat, but he spent time with God. But then we see that Elijah went to sleep again. (laughs) In verse 9, Then he went into a cave and spent the night. You see, what had happened was that Elijah had reached burnout stage. He was exhausted emotionally, spiritually. And so what did he do again? He walked, he slept, he ate, he slept, he ate, he walked, and slept again, and found refreshing from God at the mountain of God. And guess what's happening? Little by little, he's being refreshed physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And finally... Finally, after all of that, does God come to Elijah and speak in verse 9. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. Finally, after he had walked, slept, ate, slept, ate, walked, slept, and spent time with God. Verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Oh, I'd love to have been there for the Lord is about to pass by finally finally Elijah was ready to hear from the Lord and so why is it that we undervalue taking care of ourselves why is it that we undervalue rest you know it's kind of ironic because God talks about rest all throughout scriptures in fact from the very beginning God created the world in six days and what did he do on day seven? rested He didn't rest because he needed it. He's God. But he wanted to model this for us. And then he put it into one of the Ten Commandments. But for some reason, those of us who are Christians downplay rest. And in fact, here are some of the things I've heard you say. I've heard some of you say, well, I don't need rest. I've got all of eternity to rest. Really? That's ignorant. (laughs) Because in eternity, you're going to be in an immortal body. You don't need rest then, but you do need rest here. And so when we say, well, I don't need rest, you know, we're not only violating scripture, but we're being prideful and we're trying to say, I don't need rest. I'm stronger than the rest of you wimps that need rest. A little bit of pride there. Another statement I've heard some of you say, and I've said it myself, I'm guilty, but People sometimes say rest is overrated. You know, sleep is overrated. Oh, really? You're saying that the fourth commandment of rest is overrated? Ooh. Okay, if you say that the fourth commandment is overrated, what would keep someone else from saying, well, the seventh commandment of not committing immorality, that's overrated. Or the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder... That's overrated. Do you see the seriousness of picking different commandments and saying, overrated? And then I've heard something, uh, I've heard ministers say this, I would rather wear out than rust out. Again, that's an ignorant statement. Who said that wearing out is more spiritual? You you see what the kingdom of God needs isn't a bunch of burned out Christians that don't have any energy to make a difference in the world because that's where we are right now and you ask somebody, well, can you help? Oh, I'm just so overwhelmed. I'm just so stressed and so busy. I just don't have time. Rather, what the kingdom of God needs is a rested, replenished, energized, rejuvenated people because a rested, replenished, energized, rejuvenated people, they're the ones that can make a difference, not the ones that are so busy and overwhelmed and overburdened. In fact, one prominent pastor came to realize that he was violating this matter of rest, and he said this, the pace at which I was doing the work of God was killing the work of God in me. And again, I'm guilty. I'm speaking from my weakness, but, but I'm telling you, if we try to run life at an unsustainable pace, we will be like Elijah, worn out, depressed, overwhelmed, wanting to die. You know for years the medical community has been talking about the need to rest and replenish our bodies and they've been telling us that we need around eight hours of sleep a night and but obviously we don't believe that because studies say that the average person gets 6.8 hours of sleep per night now if you look at that that doesn't sound like a big deal until you do the math let's do the math instead of getting eight hours we get 6.8 that comes out to 1.2 hours per night Or for the week, 8.4 hours of sleep a week that we didn't get but should have gotten. Which 8.4 hours is like staying up and not getting any sleep. One full night a week. Let that settle in. And then if you multiply that out for the year, that comes out to 436.8 hours a year of sleep that we need but do not get. Which equates to fifty four eight hour nights that we stay up per year. We basically stay up the equivalent of two months sleep that we're missing out on. What do you think that 54 hours of sleep, uh, nights of of sleep, uh, missing sleep causes? Maybe crankiness? Maybe not performing on the job as well as you should? Maybe it leads to more blow-up or arguments with the people in your life? Uh, What's it doing to you physically? What, What do you think it's doing to your marriage? What do you think it's doing to you spiritually? And, and do you know who is noticing the lack of sleep most? And I'll wrap this up in, in a little while. We're going into overtime. You loved overtime last week, so love this. But in a study by Marcus Buckingham, who's a business writer as well as a researcher, he started his career doing research with the George, George Gallup Foundation Foundation, and he, it's convicting just what what he found out. Over six hundred moms and dads were asked, "What do you think your kids most want from you?" And well, those parents thought, nah, the kids gonna say, you know, kids probably want money from me, or they want a phone." Anybody ever hear that from your kid? I want a phone, and um, or you know, I want more time. And ten percent of children did say they wish that their moms would spend more time with them. Fifteen point five percent of the kids said they wish their dads would spend more time with them, but. But when the kids were asked this question, a 1,000 young people from 3rd through 12th grades, the overwhelming majority of these kids responded this. Do you know what they wanted most from their parents? They said, I, for their parents, I, I wish that mom and dad would be less tired and less stressed. Why do you think these kids said that? because when we're tired when we're stressed all of the time our kids don't get the the best of us they get leftovers they get parents that are grumpy that don't want to do anything with them because they're barely coping in life so parents don't push back on this fight back fight back for you Fight back for your kids. Fight back for your mental health. Fight back for your relationship with God. Well, quickly, and we'll go this one a lot faster. Do you know who got this right? The second story, Jesus. And of course, Jesus got everything right. But Jesus was fully God, fully human, which means that he was susceptible to being exhausted and stressed just like you and me. And, and Jesus learned that there were times when he needed to pull back. He needed to pull away. He needed to pull away to be refreshed. And I mean, just uh, one example comes right after Jesus fed the 5,000 people. Now, don't you think that was a pretty big ministry event? And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 and 22, it says, immediately, so catch that, immediately. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. That's the pattern that Jesus models for us, pulling away to become refreshed and renewed. And he models a sustainable pace that leads us to the bottom line of this truth. You may want to write this down. Your life is Moves to a better place when you move at a sustainable pace. So let me just uh, let me just ask some questions here. Are you are you getting enough sleep? Yeah, I know some of you you're getting 12 hours of sleep, and you know you you need kind of a kick to get yourself to doing some stuff. But I think probably for the majority here. We're not getting enough sleep, and so if you're not getting enough sleep, what are you going to do about it? Here's another question for you: Are you eating the proper foods that help replenish your energy? You know, there's something about that, where proper foods, proper diet does does help us. Um, and and I I, I I I tread lightly here, but. Are you getting the proper exercise? Is your pace sustainable long-term? If not, then what needs to go? And then are you being replenished spiritually? Are are you taking in spiritual food to re-energize your walk with God? Are you connecting with God the Father?